Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from Dream Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we'll be discussing GI examination. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any and all guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals, NHS Trust, other trust guidelines may vary, all views and opinions are the speaker's own. We uh, welcome back to Take Orally, and we've done uh, GI history, so today we're doing GI examination. Uh, the amazing Lucy Harris is once again with me. Hello, Lucy. Hi, Jamie. Welcome back. Uh, and uh, following on from the previous history podcast, we're now talking about examination. We're going to be using much the same principles as in previous podcasts. Uh, this is an examination that can throw people a bit with some of the particular palpation and the mm-hmm. percussion, but hopefully yeah. we will talk through and make things as simple as possible. Yep, absolutely. So where are we beginning with? Um, so uh, I guess probably need to start, just have a general... Um, concept of, of your landmarks for your organs um, and thinking about the anatomy underlying it because actually when you're palpating someone's abdomen there's so much going on underneath at hand isn't there mm. um, so you need to really be thinking about what you're palpating yeah. I guess um, um, and um, putting that into context with the history that you've already taken yeah um, um, so um, thinking about your quadrants I don't know if they're called quadrants what are they called if they're not a quadrant if they're nines well I, I don't know no one knows this no one it's not knows available this. on google either no. <laughs> <laughs> so within your squares <laughs> um, uh, um, so thinking about your anatomy essentially is the big thing so yeah. I just want to hammer that home really um, um, we're going to stick with the same structure that we have with all of our examinations in terms of um, uh, PIPA so uh, preparing the patient inspecting um, percuss palpate in this instance um, and then auscultate mm-hmm. um, obviously previously we would have uh, palpated, palpated first and, and then percussed, then percussed. Um, but uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more as we move through the examination process um, <clears throat> um, Pippa not the princess's sister <laughs> <laughs> So starting as we as as we did with the cardiorespiratory exam actually, um, with the hands and thinking about stigmata for GI disease that may be seen in the hands. Mm. Um, uh, I don't know about you, Jamie, but the um, easiest way I find to remember this is using the mnemonic Jack Led. Tell me more. Tell me more. <laughs> Tell me more. Um, so thinking about jaundice. Okay. Asterix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clubbing. There we go. Coilinicia. Leukinicia. Erythema and Deuterons. I like it. You like it. I do like that one. Jack, Jack Led. Jack Marvellous. I can't I can't take a claim to that. I <laughs> totally stole that from somebody else. I just can't tell you who. Um, People can sometimes get a bit overawed on remembering all of those and also remembering the names because it's, you know, or, you know, Luke and Nicky, Coil and Nicky or whatever. So yeah. I always, rec- just at the beginning, just, just, just focus more on the descriptions of them. So I'm looking for a nail abnormality. They're of normal colour. They're of normal shape. You know, don't get yourself so tongue-tied learning Latin and ancient Greek yeah. and things like that. <laughs> you know, that does come later on, but just get more used to seeing, just to, to describing it and actually thinking about what you're looking for rather than its name, mm. I think. I think the other thing is that... Um, Perhaps before I started doing uh, GI examinations, or even indeed looking at hands for signs um, of stigmata of disease, um, 
look at lots of hands because it's only really once you've looked at normal hands that you notice that all these subtle changes yeah um which actually could be really important in terms of guessing the right differential at the yeah end. absolutely um so moving on from there asterisks get them to hold their hands out like you're stopping traffic yeah. and you're looking for the flap yeah. uh not of co2 retention in this case but yeah. the, what we call the liver flap yep Cool, uh, and then we're at the wrist, so we're checking our patient's pulse. Um, and indeed the rest of the observations. So, so again, blood pressure, yeah. vital signs. So blood pressure, um, saturations, temperature, um, and of course, a very, very important one, please don't just guess it, respiratory rate. <laughs> um, uh, needs to be accurate. Um, and again, that's another opportunity. I mean, you might, you, you, at the very beginning, you'd be inspecting your patient from the end of the bed, but you can have another look at your patient from the end of the bed. You know, how mm. do they look? Are they holding themselves comfortably? Are they rigid because they can't move? Are they rolling around in agony because they can't get comfortable? And, and that helps as well. Pacing around the bed. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the good old renal colic, yeah, rolling around. Absolutely. It always serves me well, that one. Um, but yeah, so again, we're having a look at our patient's constitution. We're then moving up to the face and we're now looking in the eyes. Um, so in terms of um, uh, signs within the eye, so um, it, again, similar to cardiorespiratory examination, look for things like xanthal asthma, mm -hmm. so signs of hyperlipidemia, um, uh, looking at subconjunctival pallor, mm. um, looking for signs of anemia. Um, and again, if you're getting tongue-tied, just say lipid deposits, yeah. uh, you know, because xanthoma, xanthalasma, it, it's nice and easy if you spent years doing it, but mm. in the early days, just, just just don't worry so much to say I'm looking for lipid deposits. Because um, you, you see students sometimes getting so upset about that and it's like just say lipid deposits just say what you see say what you yeah, see absolutely uh and then down from the eyes to the mouth um so um oh just to mention on eyes I, I don't know if you've ever seen it have you ever seen copper deposits oh wilson's disease uh no sadly no. not no i haven't but, but it apparently is it is a thing it is a thing um so there's an episode Arcus. in scrubs that has it <laughs> Copper Alka. I'm going to say something way better than that. <laughs> There's a golden ring in the eye, and yeah. it's it's Wilson's disease. There, there we are. <laughs> um, so moving on to the mouth, um, lots of signs for GI symptom in the mouth, and um, I think I mentioned this within the um, GI history. So mm. thinking about um, ulceration um, in the mouth, um, signs of Crohn's disease. Mm -hmm. um, so systemic, going from sort of um, from the oral pharynx or, or from the mouth all the way down to um, the rectum that you can have signs of, of disease so um, mouth ulcers um, uh, angular chelitis mm. or stomatitis <laughs> um, if you prefer um, oral uh, say thrush um, candida um, leukoplakia um, uh, looking for signs of poor dentition or even acid erosion so think about patients that have been vomiting a lot um, mm. whether they have an eating sort of bulimia or have an underlying cause for them vomiting a lot so looking for acid erosion of the teeth um, and just generally a white coating of the tongue um, indicating poor oral intake um, uh, of a patient that potentially is presenting anorexic as, uh, as one of their symptoms yeah um, um, Looking for signs of spider nevi, so um, uh, a later sign in terms of liver disease, but um, sort of red um, spidery spots to either the face or neck, um, and sometimes on sort of the upper chest, um, not typically seen on the um, abdomen, but a sign of portal hypertension, um, essentially. Um, uh, and then we would move on to um, palpate just the um, 
uh, cervical lymph nodes or preauricular, um, posteriricular, submandibular, moving all the way down. Um, and, and maybe most importantly, your supraclavicular um, feeling for any um, masses within the left supraclavicular region. Um, so, sign of potential metastasis from a gastric cancer. Indeed. The other thing I'd say about the spider nevi is if you're worrying, wondering about is this a spider nevi, you can press them in the middle, let go, they'll blanch, and then they'll start refilling from the centre out. Yeah, it's quite, actually that. quite quite pretty to see. Not good for the patient, but actually quite a nice pretty <laughs> thing to see because it just sort of fills up from the outside. That's a really inside. good trick, actually. Uh, and that's actually a way of saying, well, is this a bruise or is it a spider nevi? That's an interesting way because obviously a bruise will just be randomly uh, go back. Uh, and yeah, Verkov's node, like you said, that, um, that supraclavicular node um, on the left side. He had a lot of things named after him, Verkov. Yeah, he did. Um, moving on. Um, so then moving on to just do your screening tests um, uh, from from the from the bed. So asking the patient, you, and this is all very passive, this is the patient doing this themselves. You're asking the patient, you're laying them flat, you're asking the patient to blow their tummy out to make it really big and look distended, mm. and then you're asking them to pull their tummy all the way back into mm. the to the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, have a big cough for me um, and lift your head up from the bed also. Um, if they're able to do all those things and look relatively comfortable with it, then actually you can be slightly more reassured. If they are struggling with those things, then it's an indicator that there is something serious going on with their abdomen and actually probably a realistically a sign of peritonism. Mm. Um, I guess another one of the, the tests that I've got <laughs> is just just pumping the bed up. I mean, if somebody's in pain with you just doing that slight movement of moving mm. a bed up and down mm. um, or moving the bed around, mm. um, that is a bad indicator in terms of something going on in their tummy. Um, so um, inspection, um, uh, it's surprising what you find on inspection that the patient then hasn't actually told you within the history. <laughs> um, oh, you've got a huge scar. Where's that scar from? Oh yeah, that happens <laughs> all the time. You didn't mention that when I asked you about previous operation. <laughs> oh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> oh, clearly not relevant anymore. <laughs> so scars, um, I would tend to be particular when I'm looking at it in terms of um, its site orientation um, and whether it's well healed, whether it's raised um, uh, white if it's um, if it's an older scar, um, red if it's a, a newer scar and still going through sort of a healing process. Um, if it is a very like if you've had somebody who's presented um, sort of 10 to 14 days after a surgery, then you'd want to be commenting about any sort of extra date and yeah. surrounding erythema if it's Dehiscence hot to touch, or, yeah, yeah. Um, if it's dehissing. Absolutely. Um, so really important um, and um, have a good idea if the patient can't tell you about what the cause of the scar was, thinking again back to your anatomy, thinking about what they may have operated in that area within the patient history as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the next the other things you might might see, and if you do see them, then you'll be quite lucky because I haven't seen a huge amount of them, but the culling sign in terms of pancreatitis. Yeah. Yeah, so um, sort of bruising around the umbilicus. Mm-hmm. Um, you may also see um, in acute pancreatitis as well, Grey Turner's sign. Yeah. So the bruising at the flanks. Um, so a way to remember that is Cullen's is one word, you have one belly button. Yeah. Grey Turner's is two words, you have two flanks. Oh, very good. Um, but yeah, it's always major for acute pancreatitis. It's worth remembering uh, it's any cause of 
bleeding potentially within the abdomen or, or retroperitoneal space. Yeah. Um, so I think Cullen was actually a gynaecologist who first spotted it in ectopic pregnancy. That was oh. where it was first described, even though everybody always says old pancreatitis. So um, always, always bad. Could be trauma, could be anything. It's just bad. If you see it, bad. <laughs> Badness. There we go. That's really scientific, isn't it? But yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, lastly, I've got um, within my lecture slide here um, is uh, cap um, caput medusae, mm. um, so um, engorged um, uh, blood vessels, essentially. Mm. Um, so signs of poor hypertension. And some of the pictures, when you look this up online, actually have it extending all the way up to the chest, and mm. they're quite dramatic um, uh, in terms of their appearance. Um, but again, uh, that is a late sign, very late sign. Um, uh, other things that we look for um, in terms of um, inspection is uh, distension. So um, it's tricky, isn't it? It's a, a slightly uncomfortable conversation with the patient. But does your tummy normally look like this? Is, it, is it normally distended? Is this the normal appearance for your tummy? And go, oh yeah, I always look like that. Okay. Fine. Okay, so not distended today. Fine. <laughs> um, so different causes of distension. I guess this is sort of within asking asking the patient um, if it's what it's like for them normally. But so obesity is obviously a reason yeah. for somebody's tummy to look at extended pregnancy is another one I suppose <laughs> so um, thinking of the F so um, fat so in terms of obesity um, fetus in terms of pregnancy flatus um, uh, thinking about pseudo obstructions obstructions yeah. um, feces so obstruction or um, um, severe um, subacute obstruction and constipation yeah. um, fluid so ascites tumours um, specifically you spoke about ovarian cancers earlier yeah. um, uh, distended bladder um, and then other sort of functions functional um, type bloatings, um, maybe such as um, irritable bowel syndrome. And so always worth remembering irritable bowel syndrome is always, always, always a diagnosis of exclusion. It's not something we diagnose in A&E. No. This is a, you know, you've had everything else ruled out. GP Arguably, diagnosis. constipation is yeah. on that list of diagnosis yeah. of, of exclusion as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So um, moving then on to um, percussion. Um, now this is a this is a little bit up, to, up for debate, um, depending on um, which consultant <laughs> or senior you might speak to. Um, but I was always taught to percuss before palpating. Um, see, see I was always taught palpation, and so medical students are still taught palpate first. Uh, uh, but I know that uh, Mr. Coffey, our boss here and uh, professor on the ACP course, and so she's just uh, you know. Mm -hmm very big on percuss first as a good screening for peritonism. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're not going to tell you to go against whatever you've been told by your educational institution. Uh, you could do it either way, but if you are a Nottingham med student, you percuss first. If you're a Nottingham ACP, oh no, sorry, if you're a Nottingham med student, you palpate first. If you're a Nottingham ACP student, you, you percuss, percuss first. first. And you percuss across all of your zones in your abdomen. So Very much the so. Nine, the nine zones that you're going to be palpating. So percussion, um, and then move on to palpation. And when you're moving on to palpation, the whole time, percussion and palpation, you're thinking, what is underneath? You're thinking about your anatomy. Because um, this is all building um, mm. information to form your differentials at the end. Um, so think about um, the anatomy underneath. And as you're palpating, you're thinking about um, a superficial palpation to start with. And that is incredibly superficial. So I think the temptation is to be 
a bit gung-ho with your superficial <laughs> um, and um, and then it's quite difficult to know where to go in terms of deep palpation um, so yeah superficial make sure it is actually superficial in terms of palpating yeah. and when you are palpating it's it's all sort of in your um, metacarpal um, yeah so um, always start aware is ask the patient where the pain is and mm. start away from and move towards it and percussion is all about how tight your middle finger is on the patient really because it's not from the wrist that you're tapping it's how tight your hand is on there and that's just something you need to to practice and then percussion i i equate it to doing the worm a bit with your hands i mean people in, different, terms, of different, in yeah. terms of palpating people have different ways of doing it but I, I sort of do a bit of a worm imagine the worm dance move and your hand is doing that that's what i do um but yeah everyone's a bit different but that's that's my 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 move my movement <laughs> i like that <laughs> I like that. I think there needs to be um, a sort of a rolling motion, essentially, over uh, over what you're palpating yeah. um, to gain an understanding of, of the consistency of what you're feeling as well. So whether it's a hard mass, if it's a soft mass, mm. if it's easily passable, if it's moving with your hand, if it's mm. not ma uh, malleable at all. Um, um, it is really important. Um, Looking at the patient's face while you're doing it. And watching the patient's face as you're doing it to see if there's any discomfort. If they're gritting their teeth with their eyes closed and facial grimacing, then you know what you're doing is slightly It's fine! <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say as well that one of the difficulties I find within when I examine uh, acute abdomens or somebody who's in a, an incredible amount of pain, actually sometimes I find it easier to do an initial examination if I'm not really able to do the full examination because of the amount of pain I'm in give them half an hour give them some decent pain relief mm. and go back and re-examine because what you actually find is a much more localised pain um, and establishing the cause of that mm. pain is easier um, once they've been suitably yeah. analgesed and no analgesia even morphine will will guard peritonism no. so patients this is very thing i didn't take any pain relief because i didn't want to mask it for you, you want to hide the that's pain. not a thing you will always find it even if they've yeah. had a slug of morphine uh and as you've just said i think very often analgies first they'll be a lot more compliant you'll have to get a history from them because they're not riding around in pain riding around in pain uh, and you know if they are guarding they will still guard even after morphine they will just feel absolutely. a bit happier absolutely so do not tease analgies do not tease analgies um, I would then after sort of palpating um, the whole of the abdomen obviously um, superficial deep move on to do kind of your special test within um, the abdomen which is essentially percussing your liver um, so percussing all the way up to the inferior margin um, noting where that is in, in relation to the ninth rib um, and then carrying all the way up to the chest to see where the uh, um, superior margin of your liver is so you can yeah. get a really good idea of that triangle <laughs> essentially um so palpating and then um palpate and um, palpating percussion first and then palpating the liver uh, for the liver edge and mm. um, starting right down your right um uh, inguinal region really um, and then palpating up um, as the patient's taking a breath in your hand should be already be on the patient ready to meet the liver edge as it's coming yeah. down because um, obviously on inspiration the liver yeah. and the spleen both move down with the diaphragm flattening so you move on expiration you stay still on inspiration because that's when you're going to touch and that's another rookie error that, yeah, that can happen and I think yeah. sometimes don't rely on the patient to be able to control the breathing I think <laughs> you need to be quite direct take a breath in now and breathe out and breathe in now and breathe out and if you if you but 
you're doing that, make sure that you keep telling them to. You'll have a hypoxic patient on your hands. Yeah. Um, uh, and once you've done that, then the same process really um, in terms of percussion and palpation for the spleen. Yeah. Um, again, starting on the right, iliac fossa, um, percussing towards the spleen. And I would continue round to the sort of the um, mid-axilla region, which is where your yeah. spleen actually sits until you hear adultness. Um, now that's reliant on the fact that the patient doesn't have like a, a pleural effusion or something. Yeah, that's <laughs> another reason for but, it. Um, yeah. But I'm sure you would have elicited that within your history taking. Um, uh, <laughs> so um, moving around to the Percussion and then again with your palpation. Now you should never be able to palpate a spleen. Um, uh, tricks to um, lean the patient onto the uh, right hand side um, and palpate up under under the rib edge as well, um, just to be sure that yeah, there's no palpable spleen there. Um, should should also be completed. Um, and if you do feel a spleen, then that's not a good indication. No. Um, no this no, is no. obviously important in terms of acute abdominal pains, but I would say that patients presenting with what are seemingly benign um, uh, coughs, colds, thinking about things like glandular fever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is really important in terms of medical Your weird and wonderful haematology, anemias, your unwell return travellers, malaria, mm. you know, this is this is the stuff that exams love, this kind of... Exactly, and what we teach people is really a, a toolbox of, of, yeah. um, of examinations that they can do, and this is something that can be adapted for cool, those cool, patients. Cool. Um, uh, so now we're on to the kidneys. So palpating the kidneys, um, blotting the kidneys, if you would. Yields. Um Again, also quite tricky, and I guess people sometimes forget how tiny your kidneys are and how... how Firmly, you need to be you pressing do. down with your top hand um, to then be able to palpate a kidney. And typically, it is very hard unless you've got a slim patient, slim to medium patient, you typically wouldn't. The other thing you can ask the patient to do, again, is to take a breath in, because you may feel the kidney sort of sliding underneath the palm mm. of your hand as they take a breath in at the time of you sort of blotting um, and feel it passing passing between the hands. But you do need to ensure that you um, have a deep enough palpation. Um, uh, and then as a final uh, palpation, um, which would be essential really is to palpate for the aorta mm. um, and to comment really on its um, size and character. Yeah. Um, so um, you may well feel a pulsatile mass um, in, um, again, slimmer patients. Um, uh, certainly obese patients are a complex um, group in terms of examining their abdomens, but mm -hmm. um, unless you feel for things, you're not going to um, no, exactly. not going to elicit those findings. And it also reminds you to think about it as well. I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as one of the red flag presentations. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so it's, it's worth remembering that you know you there again. There's a there's a triple A podcast I recommend listening to, but um, we. Um, uh, your aorta is is aneurysmal at three centimeters, um, but you're not really going to feel it as a postal expansile mass till about five centimeters. Mm. So that's not fair. And, uh, and I've certainly seen. We we had a patient who was a three point one centimeter ruptured triple A. That's not fair. No. So uh, if you feel it, uh, obviously be concerned. Uh, if you can't feel it though, that doesn't, I wouldn't 
Rest, I wouldn't rest my hat on that. If you've got a shocked patient with abdo pain slash back pain slash both, uh, and you can't feel an expansor pulsar mass, uh, don't go, well, I've ruled out AAA because you haven't. No. There we go. I think we should probably emphasize, though, that a parsatile. Uh, very normal, very normal. normal. If it and would comment on it being hostile, but also make sure you're commenting on the fact that it's not expansive. Expansive, um, absolutely within, not. Within your documentation, a patient once with a 10 centimeter AAA, or not literally. All I did was put my hand. I didn't even press. Put my hand on his tummy, and it was just my hands were just doing that, pulsing out to the side, and his his yeah his AAA had ruptured. So, yeah, but uh, that was a yeah um, easy find that one. <laughs> uh, marvelous, and then we're auscultating, are we? So auscultating using the bell of the stethoscope, picking up on the higher yes. higher pitch frequency um, of sounds um, uh, I tend to only really listen over the right lower quadrant really yeah ileocecal valve's the best one again have a listen um, some I think some of the medical students are taught listening three different sites whatever you're taught for your OSCE checklist listen to that um, again because you wouldn't be wrong to exactly exactly but again you know I'd, I'd, I'd argue again here there's a difference between what you do for the exam and what you do in practice if you've got a patient who's distended <coughs> and vomiting and hasn't opened their bowels and you think you can hear bowel sounds you're not going to rule out obstruction no. um, <coughs> it, it, yeah you, you could argue just how useful it is but it's in the exam so do it. So do it. <laughs> um, and lastly, um, looking at the periphery, so looking at the um, the lower legs and thinking, um, so palpating the calves or any tenderness, edema, um, primarily primarily um, edema, but any warmth as well. Um, cool, obviously cool, cool. thanking the patient um, and um, and then thinking about all of your differentials that, that may yeah. have been uncovered. And usually at this point you, you would say something along the lines of to complete my exam, I would do a uh, urine dip, examine the external genitalia and hernial, hernial orifices and do a digital rectal PR exam. Med school's very big on making sure you say those things. Uh, uh, yes, indeed, actually. But uh, yeah, uh, marvellous. Anything else, Lucy? Um, no, I guess the only other thing to, once you've come to the end of your examination, um, that you need to really sort of think about organising your thoughts with regards to what you've elicited from your mm. um, examination um, into some sort of order. And I guess the surgical sieve um, mm. is probably the easiest way of doing that. I tend to yeah. use um, a vitamin um, C, D, E approach to it. Um, just in, in terms of not missing a diagnosis, I guess, and not getting too... Um, too fixated on a particular differential or um, having a bit of premature diagnostic closure um, to ensure that you've not you've not you've not overlooked marvelous differential. So um, that's my final point. Marvelous. Thank you so much, Lucy. Thank you. Bye bye. That was the Take Orally GI Examination Podcast. You can find the blog entry for this podcast at www.takeorally.com. Remember, you can subscribe to Take Orally on both SoundCloud and Apple Podcast. Uh, you can find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter for more information about research and educational opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma. Check out NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.